GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for iOS, Android, Xamarin, and more. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Enjoy incredibly detailed error and crash diagnostics for every web and mobile programming language, plus performance monitoring to discover the biggest performance bottlenecks impacting your users. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. Head on over to raygun.com, get up and running within minutes, and build better software. And make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. So, so John, I have to say that I, I think this is the like the perfect intersection of like all of my hobbies sort of coming together <laughs> in, in one episode. I think I, I have been known to like to drink cold uh, beverages that are a bit bubbly that tend to be beer like, <laughs> beer like <laughs> as in beer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I'll 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 shape some sizes, but uh, you know I, I think I should, we should get this out of the way beforehand. What you know? What's your favorite beer style right now? My favorite beer style. Um, I don't know. Like I'm always sort of, I'm a sucker for a good, like Flanders red. Like I, I just can't get enough mm-hmm. of, of that kind of style. Um, you know, the, the irony, I was just saying this the other day, the irony is like, I just moved to the West coast, um, you know, a few months ago, which, so I should be in sort of like beer heaven in terms of the West coast IPA, but <laughs> yeah. this like stupid new England IPA has just followed me to the west coast and around the world and, and i hope it's a, a trend that starts to, to dissipate a little bit i enjoy it but it's, it's a little bit overdone yeah you know up, up my way we've kind of seen an explosion of different um you know sour beers you know lambics and old brown bruins and all the you know fun stuff that comes in that category so i've been really uh really enjoying that this summer and then you know having having been drinking for uh, and a beer enthusiast, I'll say, for, for as long as I have. Like, I, I definitely at this point don't know most of, of what I had without, without the help of a certain app called Untapped. <laughs> um, and, and that's why I'm, I'm super excited to, to have Greg Avola on, who's one of the, the founders of, of Untapped and, and basically built the whole thing. So how's it going, Greg? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, and, and we were saying before the show, like I, I, I recall having you come by my, my old user group out in, in New York City. Um, and I was just looking up the date. Somehow it's been like three years, I think, since that wow. happened, which is just it's all a blur somehow. Um, and yeah. even back then, it, it was a fascinating story of, of how you, you know, how you built the platform and scaled. And then the, the last couple of years for you have, like must be just kind of like crazy growth. So um, it's, it seemed like the right time to, to catch up, first of all, and also just get you on the show to, to talk about all this stuff that I think is, is super interesting. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy the last couple of years, and we'll get into all that, that stuff there. But, you know, three years ago, I was just thinking to myself, man, my whole life, the whole untapped is completely different than it was three years <laughs> ago. But we've used the building blocks that we've had to be able to, to get in that direction. So very cool stuff to talk about indeed. So before we get into all of that, you know, I asked Greg what his uh, favorite style was these days. What are you drinking these days? So I'm going to be the traditional beer drinker at this point, so I do apologize. But my, my beer style of, of, of choice is uh, IPA. I've always been a big hophead. Uh, being in the New England area, I'm a huge fan of the New England IPA, which is more hazy, juicy IPA, which is all the rage right now, honestly. If you're a brewery out there and you don't have one, I Probably next week you're in a brew one. It's just the way that it works yep. from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of what we what, what I like the most, and that that style has really been really popular over in the northeast region, specifically with Trillium and Treehouse. 
some of the bigger breweries in this area that are very popular, but uh, I, I love them. I can't get enough of them. So the more I see them, the more, the more I get excited about them. So, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, Untapped has changed a lot over the last few years. When did you actually get started on this project? So it was summer of 2010. So it's almost wow. uh, over eight years now. I think uh, it was funny. I was looking back to the database entries and July 8th is when we first spun up the database 2010. And we didn't launch until early October of 2010. So this October will be the official eight-year anniversary or nine-year anniversary, sorry, of uh of untapped so it'll be pretty crazy to kind of see that 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 realm um go there but uh it, it's it's been absolutely nuts um you know just speaking of the changes that we've, we've done over the years i mean talking about the minimum style ipa which didn't exist when we first started that that style wasn't even there i mean we've had to adapt to the brewing industry as much as technology industry with new styles and new type of uh, categorization so it's been really crazy to see the growth um as we've gone forward from from this uh from from that long time ago yeah, absolutely. And and just as like being a data junkie myself, like I can only imagine having access to the the type of information <laughs> that you have access to. Um, so I'm very, on a, just as a side note, I'm personally very jealous of that data set, I could say. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, you know, we've been able to kind of predict certain trends in the industry that I think mm. provides a lot of value to what we do. Uh, we're able to depict when Oktoberfest beers get popular. And it's not in October. That's pretty much a given. Uh, but you know, the trends that we were able to discover is pretty cool to see the type of, of, of craft drinker that people have become over the years. And that's really cool to, to look at. That's awesome. So going back, I guess, the, the eight, nine years ago to, to when this started, um, like what was your original sort of inspiration for, for kicking this off? Like what were you hoping to get out of it? Like, did you have all yeah. of this in mind? Or <laughs> No, no. I if anyone tells you at a company that they knew where they were going eight, nine years ago, they're lying to you. So, uh, you know, from, from our standpoint, you know, my co-founder and I, Tim, who lives in California, actually, uh, he – we, we loved Foursquare. Eight years ago, Foursquare was the big thing on the block. Everybody loved to use it. It's a check-in service. It really provided a lot of value to people that are across the country, like, like Tim and I were, uh, him being in California and being, being in New York. So we wanted to apply that check-in kind of methodology to an industry that we felt that was very inherently social, but not social in a real-time fashion. Of course, there's lots of sites out there that have kind of review-based systems, but nothing in real-time fashion. You're at a bar, you want recommendations, you want reviews, you want to be able to log it right then and there. That really wasn't present. So we took the idea of Foursquare and we put it together with this beer, uh, and that's kind of how it kicked. I mean, the, the funny story about this is that neither Tim or myself are really that big into beer like we are today. And I get questions, I guess asked a lot, like, wow, how the hell did you do that? Uh, but I think, you know, from our standpoint, there were so many great beers out there that we never even seen before because I never saw, for example, Fat Tire by New Belgium was never contributed into New York until a couple of years ago. So mm, when I saw him yeah. checking in almost eight years ago, I'm like, what is that? That sounds like a great beer. So from this whole experience, we were able to use both the kind of Foursquare system of the check-in system to get us that kind of interface that we were looking for to record beers and review them, plus the idea of being able to discover new beers and think what, what we like what we didn't like. Uh, was how Untap was born. So that's kind of how it all started. And, you know, did we know that we'd have, you know, we have five and a half million users now today using the application? Did I know that I'd be on a podcast talking about this stuff? No, absolutely <laughs> not. So, you know, it's kind of a, a humbling experience for me to kind of see its growth over the last, last couple of years for sure. So did you and Tim both start the development of the app? Or, like, what did that look like, you know, from the very first day? And, and how did you 
approach that process of building it and starting to put those pieces together? Yeah, so when we first launched uh, eight years ago, we were a web app only. So we were not a mobile application. We were exclusively on the web. Um, Tim is a designer. I'm a developer. So basically, I remember the first version of Untapped that we put together, and it was didn't have Tim's awesome designs. It was pretty crappy looking. But at least it worked. It was functional. Uh, I did the, 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 the kind of smokescreen test to make sure that it was feasible. Um, but we wanted to focus on the web because we really believed at that point uh, and it wasn't really a, a, in the industry. It was still pr- pretty new using mobile web as a, a platform. But we knew that there were some other apps out there from a competitor perspective that were only on a certain platform. And it's funny to believe that uh, uh, only about eight years ago that you know apps were not developed for all platforms, Android, iOS, or off the, ga- off the gate. Now you have to do that to be very successful in the field. But back then, there were snaps just came out, and they were basically using on one platform. We wanted to be able to get their users and get their people that uh, were on other platforms and get them to be out on tap. Um, so we focused on the web. That was our primary focus uh, of how we were going to start this process. And, you know, we started using up technologies. HTML5 was just kind of coming out using the geolocation from, from there. Uh, we didn't actually have ratings when we first started on tap, believe it or not. Uh, there was no ratings at all. Uh, it was just a simple web app that record where you were having it and what, and what you have. So that was kind of our first kind of foray into it. So then in terms of tooling, like how, what did you end up using to, to build that, you know, build that out on the web and then eventually go out to, um, you know, to native applications and, and out of curiosity, like how does that differ from, uh, you know, how things sort of evolved to today? Yeah. So back then what we did was, you know, from an infrastructure perspective, um, obviously when we first started out, we were on shared hosting that didn't last very long. Uh, but, but as we grew, we obviously matured our infrastructure track. But in terms of building out the unblinding pins of the web app, we actually used jQuery, which was our primary. I mean, eight years ago, everyone used jQuery. It wasn't anything yeah. else, really. Uh, even jQuery Mobile, which you know kind of got off to a rough start and then just continually declined after, um, after Angular and all the other ones started coming out. But that wasn't even out yet. So we had nothing in terms of web tooling uh, for mobile. We added everything really with responsive CSS uh, layouts and, and, and using jQuery. I remember, you know, this pains me today to say this, but we used to actually return the raw HTML rendered on the server and we would inject it into the actual uh, div uh, of, the, of the DOM. And I'm like, why did I do that? I mean, that was like very, very poor form in terms of performance. But again, we were just trying to see what what clicked with our user base. We weren't really focused too much on using the greatest and latest and greatest of, of everything out there because number one, it wasn't really tested and battle tested as it is today. Um, you know, moving toward the native realm, we really felt that we had kind of hit our plateau in terms of using the web as a as a marketplace. And I firmly believe that the web is your biggest marketplace because it's it's got unlimited amount of users. There's no device requirement as everything is there. But when you're at a bar and you're telling someone, hey, I want you to try out on tap, it's a great app, the first thing they think of is as you open up their phone and go to the app store and they can't find it, you've lost it. Especially if you try to say things like go open up your browser, go to untap.com, add to your home screen. And PWAs are really kind of taking over what we thought was going to be the big thing a couple of years ago. Um, but for now, we leveraged Cordova as our platform for us to uh, integrate native features into the app and publish that to the store. Uh, about three years ago, we wrote the app in Angular using Ionic, uh, which is what we use today. Um, and we are continuing using Ionic today with Angular as we progress through the application structure. So we're still uh, web in a, at heart. Uh, we still believe that that's the direction we want to go in. 
Um, and also with the, the amount of community that's around these products, we feel pretty confident about, about that. But a lot has changed. I mean, React Native and, and Xamarin, all that stuff has, has really been uh, uh, crazily invested in the last couple of years. And we'd love to see that kind of excel. I don't think if you're a big uh, or an app these days that you're actually thinking about pure native development. I think you're really thinking about those options, the Cordova, React Native, Xamarin, because to build those platforms is very difficult to manage from that perspective. Yeah, and I can definitely say, uh, you know, going back a few years, I, I guess it lines up with when you would, would have launched probably the the Ionic stuff that you you were mentioning. Um, you know, from a user perspective, it was definitely a, a noticeable sort of different experience. You know, full disclosure, I, I can admit I admit now that that I sort of left Untapped for like I think a, a year or two at some point because I just got sort of frustrated with the experience. Um, I sort of regret that now because now I'm missing that whole part of my history. <laughs> um, but but it is sort of night and day in terms of uh, the experience now, and it, and it did get much nicer. So would you attribute that to the the switch to Ionic then? Yeah, I mean, Ionic allowed us to really focus on the app and then less on the UI components. That was one of our biggest kind of hurdles is that we, we were recreating UI components left and right that we really didn't need to do. Um, We've been you know, developing things in CSS that may not be working the best with some Android phones. And, you know, really when you're developing an app, you don't really want to have to worry about that. With a native realm, everything is a native component. So, like, you're not worrying about how it, how it performs from a component perspective because it's all using uh, standard stuff that's part of the OS. But with Ionic, that package is already available for you. It's allows us to develop faster, allows us to get to the to store faster, allows us to have more performance, uh, and also native-like features and gestures that would have taken us a little while to kind of perfect on our own. Um, so we've been really happy with Ionic and how it's been, been growing in that platform for sure. And, you know, definitely talking about pre-Ionic versus post-Ionic is a way different animal in terms of our app in terms of performance-wise because that's something that you always kind of get dinged, especially in this kind of realm. is like, oh, you're not pure native. Uh, it's going to be slow. And I think, to be honest with you guys, I think the, the idea that, that, that building an app that performs well is an important feature, but it doesn't really matter like what it's built with. It just matters three things. Mm -hmm. Does the app perform what I want it to do? Is it fast? And is it fun? And then if you got those three things down, you can build it with paper straws for all I care. <laughs> I think that, they, that it will work and it'll be, users will be happy about it. So, I mean, it seems like you had a pretty natural progression, you know, from the web to, um, you know, Cordova to Ionic. It's all kind of makes sense. Would you have done anything differently in that line of progression if you had to, to do it over again? I, really, honestly, no. I, I'm really happy with where we're at right now. And we only have a team of four people. So, like, it's very, very uh, easy to up to, to kind of work with and develop. So. There's not much I would change. Of course, like, you know, the React Native and the Xamarin side are really interesting. I think if Windows Phone, um, you know, kind of lasted a little bit longer, that could have been a good opportunity for us because we, do, we still have a lot of Windows Phone users on our on our app, on the older version, that is. Um, and I'm constantly asked about it from, from periods of time. So, you know, if that stuck around a little bit longer, I think we may have kind of would have seen where that, that route uh kind of live, but I think we're pretty happy with the direction that we're going in. And, you know, Ionic did support Windows uh, phones as well. So they, they have those CSS elements and stuff like that uh, there. So we had the opportunity if the platform stuck around a little bit longer. So then at this point, is it in terms of mobile platforms that you're targeting, is it just iOS and Android then? Yes, uh, we just target iOS and Android today. Uh, we do have a Windows phone app in the store, but we no longer update it um, because of the fact of the platform situation. But yeah, only iOS and Android is what we're targeting today uh, with our product lines. 
Cool. Um, so, so th- that's the app itself, and obviously the, there's there's a lot of like features in there and stuff that we can dig into. But but I also want to make sure to to talk about some of the other stuff that I remember you talking about, which is the this whole suite of tools, as I remember it, for how you manage the your infrastructure and you know all this sort of stuff. Um, can you speak to to some of the stuff you built around that? Yeah, so we actually have a lot of things that we built uh, to kind of manage some of the deployment structures to um, to manage errors. So we have our own internal process called Wart, which is a great name because it's related to beer uh, and the brewing process that we use to track our error monitoring that we use for there. You know, when you were a kind of a nimble startup that we were a couple of years ago, uh, we had to build a lot of these tools ourselves because we couldn't really uh, afford to kind of pay the the big price uh, for you know things like AirBrake and other things like that to error monitoring for so we built it ourselves. Um, we also did a lot of things for deployment structures. So we would actually uh, build our own kind of image from our servers, be able to manage that on the go, um, to be able to scale up or scale down depending on what our load looked like. So that was really cool with part of Ward. Um, we've actually done a lot since then. Um, We've done uh, a lot of uh, um, uh, crazy stuff when it comes to uh, scaling. Uh, we're actually doing a lot now to do automatic scaling. Uh, we're still on Rackspace as our primary hosting provider, which doesn't give us a whole lot of leverage when it comes to auto scale. But we do it on our own um, to kind of watch the request per second and then scale up. Uh, we're basically building our own AWS kind of like auto scale <laughs> within Rackspace. Um, but a lot of those tooling helped us kind of uh, get started with the with the, the realm of, of, of DevOps. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm a, a computer science background. Um, they teach you how to write code for 10 people in school. Uh, we had to run through trial by fire and kind of do a lot of this stuff, um, you know, on the fly. So learning a lot of the DevOps stuff so for me was a little bit of a hurdle. Um, but ultimately, you know, from that process, we learned a lot about what works but doesn't work and making our system a lot more structure-oriented in terms of uh, running batch jobs and things like that. I mean, a lot of that stuff, like I said, was too expensive for us to start out with. We had to build our own tooling to kind of to do that migration uh, forward. Yeah. And yeah, I, DevOps and, and ops in general is, is, is one of those things that you just sort of learn when you have to learn. And then it's I know, yeah. for me, it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun on the other side. But there's a lot of stuff. There's a whole world of stuff to learn there for sure. It, it's not fun on a Friday night when no one can check in. But it's fun other times uh, when you get to tool around with different types of uh, languages and, and, and things like that to get it to work. I mean, we've done a lot with our our post-process analysis of the check-in. So in our latest release, we actually allow uh, translated uh, check-in comments to appear. So like whenever a check-in happens, we have a background job that runs that goes actually and detects the language of the actual comment and then serves it back to the user in real time using actually Microsoft APIs uh, for the language translation part, which is really cool. Some of that stuff, you know, some of the analysis of the check-ins post-creation is really helping us make the experience better for the user. But again, you know, five or six years ago, I was like, just please just don't crash on a Friday night. <laughs> now we're able to like really kind of improve what we're doing, you know, do a lot of improvements on the front end and the back end um, to give us uh, much more uh, flexibility. We actually have a DevOps person now on our staff, which is amazing for me personally. <laughs> um, so that, it, it's been a really crazy experience. So I was going to say, you know, you're talking now about building infrastructure like now to deal with scaling and, and different things like that. Like, does that mean that you were sitting around, you know, drinking a beer on a Friday night and just watching the, the requests come in and deciding when to spin up another server? Or how did you kind of uh, bridge the gap between, you know, that initial kind of uh, found success with the app and, and kind of where you are today? 
Yeah, we got our first ever kind of increase on shared hosting. We got mentioned in Mashable back in November of 2010. And they posted their, their I think it was their, their West Coast office, posted the story at like 2 a.m. Eastern. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm not sleeping tonight. Um, so, uh, you know, we quickly moved off of that. But I think that the majority of what we we're watching for is New Relic was one of the first things we got right off the bat. And that helped us really kind of narrow down uh, requests per second and requests per minute to kind of see the realm. Uh, over time, we've developed uh, algorithms for when traffic spikes would occur based on history of what's happening on the weekend. So most people I talk to say, you know what? If I ask them a question, it's Friday, it's Friday night, Saturday night, or Sunday night, the biggest time when I'm tapped. And most people will say Saturday night. The actual reality is it's Friday night is bigger than Saturday night because Saturday night is the entire day people are drinking. So Everyone kind of bombs out early on Saturday because day drinking has become more of a kind of a standard that we see now uh, in most of the industry. Uh, Friday night is a lot about happy hour after work, so it's much more busier from a Friday perspective. But, you know, we've developed this kind of scaling algorithm to be able to adapt to those type of things uh, based on our, our request per second knowledge and just basic, you know, uh, drinking habits. I mean, we drink too, so uh, it helps us figure this out. A lot of apps don't have to worry about that. No one really has to say a weekend traffic is very important to them. So that Instagram and all that stuff are, are, are their own little league for, for those situations. But uh, for us, we just use kind of our history of what we've seen for requests per second uh, on there. They're actually, the top hour uh, is around 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. It's the most amount of requests per minute. We're averaging close to around uh, across all of our clusters, around fifty to sixty thousand requests per per minute uh, for beer check-ins and stuff like that. So that's pretty substantial for for what we see for a small app of five and a half million users. So we're we're super excited when those things come through, and we're able to scale up for it, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking on, you know, I run a I help run a food ordering platform, so we peak around lunch and dinner time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and weekends are pretty big, so you don't necessarily get like weekends of you know being scot-free with no users, that sort of thing. But, but right. there's definite peaks during like normal-ish hours and then that roams yep. across the country. Um, but I can imagine that that could be pretty frustrating on the, the, the drinking side of things. If like you wanted to go out for a Friday night or say you wanted to go out with yep. your company and like have a, yep. like a company happy hour, <laughs> it seems like a very yeah. stressful happy hour. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, I used to carry my backpack around me everywhere I went pretty much to be able to deal with it. I remember our first anniversary party, which was at a place called Rattle and Hum, which is in the city here. Um, I remember taking my backpack out, and during the party, we went down. Uh, and I had to manage the servers from a laptop in the corner of the bar. Not the best experience for me. Uh, I had a, plenty of other stories. One time I was on an airplane, and I was like, please get me up in the air because everything's crashing. I'm trying to tell my co-founder how to restart uh, Apache from the command line. He's <laughs> like, I don't really know. I, I don't do Photoshop, but I don't know how to log into it. A Linux box, but I mean, you know, we've been really fortunate to be able to work with great partners and great people to help us get that next level uh, in terms of being able to really kind of push the boundaries for what we're doing. So uh, it's been a lot of trial and error, um, and the users have stuck with us and kind of supported us throughout this. So we're pretty pretty happy and fortunate to be in the position we are today. Nice, and then. Um you know, piggybacking a little bit off of, you know, you throwing out some numbers there before, which again, as a metrics junkie, and like I watch dashboards all day, every day. So like that's, that's the world I sort of live in. Um, I'd be curious if, you know, if you're 
uh, able or willing to, to talk a little bit about like how big the infrastructure side has gotten? Like you mentioned having some clusters and things like that. Can you give any sense of like what the infrastructure really looks like behind the scenes here? Sure. Yeah. So we, you know, we're doing a lot of changing in terms of, of, of that and trying to be more modernized with our structure. Ultimately, another thing, too, that's changed over the last eight years is is Docker. I mean, that didn't mm-hmm. exist when mm-hmm. we first started. Yeah. So containerizing things and making them uh, more structured and being able to spin up, spin down things without really a big cost in infrastructure is, is obviously an important thing that we're doing. But in terms of our basic infrastructure that we have today, we actually have an F5 uh, load balancer in the Cisco ASA on the front end, which actually come through all traffic through that route, which gets routed to many of our uh, a cluster of our API servers. We have a cluster of database servers that run. We pretty much use a lot of traditional stuff that you see in many startup uh, languages and, and, and worlds. I mean, we use um, our, our, we're a Lampa stack, so we do Linux, Apache, PHP, MySQL as our primary source of what we're doing. But we are kind of believer in using things that make sense for you. We're not a kind of flashy, you know, use the great latest and greatest of everything the thing out there. And then you realize that you don't really need all that. So we use things like Redis for a lot of our counts. So all the beer um, counts, venue counts, or even your distinct counts are all stored in Redis because it's a very heavy uh, count query um, across all the databases if you have to, to do that. Um, we use uh, MongoDB for all of our location-based requests. So when you ask for a fine beer perspective, so you're looking for a beer in a local area, we use Mongo for that. Any trending locations, any nearby geo-aware queries, we use Mongo. Uh, we actually use Elasticsearch, not for searching, which is probably <laughs> what people have been doing a lot nowadays. Uh, we use that for activity feed. Um, one of the biggest problems we ever had so we started was that a lot of our queries would launch off of the activity feed, which is an insane, insanely in, in, interjoined with the friends and approved rates. You know, it's different in the Twitter world and the Instagram world where there's a follower. There's no real need to kind of approve something. So for us to join multiple tables to have that kind of high throughput. It's really difficult to obtain. So we actually used Mongo a lot for uh, our activity feedback in the day. And then as Elasticsearch got to be more and more prominent, we um, switched our activity feed over to Elasticsearch. And we're seeing a whole lot of performance benefits from that perspective. Uh, we used to Elasticsearch for search. Uh, now we're using Algolia, which is our primary search me- mechanism for all search across the app, uh, which has been pretty amazing because we've been able to do a lot of cool things with um, client to Algolia search and on the application. So we used to have to scale up significantly for an auto search, auto complete. So everyone would have to hit its server, have to hit our servers and handle that request at a large, bigger throughput, uh, which would push that 50 to 60 to easily to 100 uh, in an account, heavy nice. Now we're offloading all that stuff to Algolia, which allows us to kind of shrink our infrastructure down a little bit um, to handle that kind of a load there. But that kind of covers, well, we also use um, uh, IronIO for our message queue system. And we're super happy with that because of the Iron Worker component, which allows us to write uh, kind of uh, as Google functions in the cloud, uh, but allowing us to be agnostic with our languages. So we write in any language you want we kind of can pump it into the cloud and work with there. So um, all this stuff has kind of evolved over time. If I look back at what we had before, we had a single application server and a single database server on the same tenant. And now we've grown to, you know, uh, you know, 
four or five X of what that is. But um, managing all that is, is difficult. That's why we're looking at, at, at Docker and, and things like that to be able to be more performant with the things that we do. Uh, ultimately, um, we have a lot of legacy stuff. So, you know, uh, you know, moving that over is a little bit troublesome at, at times. But I think adopting new technologies from our standpoint is we'll use them when we think is the best opportunity and not right off the gate. So, People laugh at us sometimes for using for, for using you know, Lampa, and I'm like, well, it works for us. So, you know, I think that's the kind of mantra that we have when we talk about the technology. Okay. It's gotten you this far, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, we're still alive, not going away. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all good from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, just because you you know your stack doesn't necessarily put you at the top of Hacker News isn't always a, a, <laughs> <Yeah>. a bad thing. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, come and ask and say, you know. Uh, why do you use that stuff or why don't you gotta migrate fully to Mongo or why don't you fully migrate to Elasticsearch and stuff like that? So, you know, we have specific use cases for every one of those things. And you know, relational data is is not yes. as you know popular as everyone says, but it is relational. The data we have is relational. A check-in belongs to a user, you know, a toast belongs to a check-in. Easy from a, a start and, and, and a finish perspective for us to run queries and, and stuff like that. So you know while it's not the most you know, sexiest thing out there in terms of the technology world, it works for us. And I think you should, if you're developing an app, you should use what works best for you and not just what's on the top of Hacker News. Yeah, definitely. I think there's something to be said for, you know, using stuff that you know as well, that you're skilled in, that you're not, you know, kind of exploring without uh, having to kind of flounder your way through it. So uh, it's it's refreshing to hear cases where that's, you know, being done. Uh, I think for, for all of us developers out there, that may be side that way. Um, yeah, I mean, you know what? Yeah, look at Facebook. They're still using PHP. Well, not even like a, a very highly customized version, but they're still using it and they're still running. So, you know, sometimes there's an opportunity to do stuff at a higher scale. Now, you know, one of the, the things that I find really fascinating when actually using the app is that, like, it seems honestly, and, and being from Canada, I always kind of think, like, this kind of stuff is tailored to, like, the U.S. or to, you know, <laughs> the, the more... Um, big names, places, and everything like that. So whenever I go and type in a beer that I'm drinking, I, I kind of half expect it still, even though history's proven me wrong a time and time again, for it to <laughs> not be in the database. But somehow that beer that I'm drinking from some weird little craft brewery here is always in the database. How do you guys do that? It's a very good question. So we started with an open source beer database of around 5,000 beers, probably back in 2010. Uh, we just kind of found it on the web, lying around. It was probably poorly updated. It had the wrong a lot of wrong styles in there and a lot, a lot of wrong like you know naming structures. And one of the things we've always wanted to do from the very beginning is create the world's largest open source peer database. Uh, we, we felt that there was a need for this and there was a need in the industry to standardize beer data across the board. So we've really taken that to light in terms of creating really rigid uh, structures in terms of naming uh, systems, labeling and stuff like that to be really concrete. Even breweries tell us sometimes they want to name it differently. I'm like, well, then change your packaging because it doesn't say that on your packaging. <laughs> so we really want to be fully focused on making sure that we represent what the label says, what the, the bar says, things of that nature. So from that 5,000 beers, uh, we allow users to add beers whenever they, they felt that there wasn't uh, an actual entry, kind of like a Wikipedia-style entry system where uh, it would get added, uh, which is really great when we first started. We ballooned from 5,000 to 50,000 probably within the first couple of weeks of us people using the app. 
app because there's a lot missing from that perspective. Um, ultimately, that became to be a little bit of a hurdle because we had to have to moderate that particular entry. So while we're increasing those entries, spelling mistakes and you know things that weren't beer were being added to Untapped on a regular basis. Uh, believe it or not, I've seen the weirdest things added to Untapped from a beer perspective, from water by brewery Earth to Nyquil. So I, I've seen it all. Um, not so we actually in December of that year in 2010 we implemented moderator features. Um, to the application so people can do editing, merging of beers, um, stuff like that. When you add a beer to Untapped today, it's immediately available for everyone to actually use. We don't have an approval process. We didn't want to impact the experience. We wanted to give power to the users to say, hey, look, this is what I'm drinking. Let me drink it. We'll moderate it later. Um, ultimately, this has been very successful for us. There are some bad apples and things that happen, which I think are pretty common in most situations. Um, but for the most part, this has helped us grow that, that level. Uh, and from that moderator program that we have, we have over 250 moderators from all around the world that volunteer to merge and edit beers um, across the realm. So we have at least five in Canada. So um, I'm pretty happy that you should find all the all the ones in Canada that you need uh, from that perspective. But it's a really cool op- opportunity to interact with a lot of these moderators that love the Untapped platform. We love that they like to, to give back and, and, and whatnot. Um, we regularly hold we do betas with them. They're part of our beta program. So it's a really cool unique relationship we have with our moderators and we're, we wouldn't be where we are today without their help for sure because managing we're at about close to around three million beers now on the database that are commercial oriented uh, we do allow home brewers as well so that number doesn't include those um but you know without those moderators we wouldn't be able to kind of uh, facilitate the growth of the, of the platform and we I, I've been obviously using it from day one. I've only added like 30 beers, and this has been like eight <laughs> years. So, like, you know, I, there are people that add a lot more. I mean, the, the brewery tweets about it, so people just go in there and add it, not even when they're checking in, just, you know, they want to have it part of the platform. So, it's really cool to so that kind of like really excitement toward the, adding these things uh, to the, the platform. Yeah, it's cool. And I was definitely curious to, to hear the, you know, your perspective on, you know, the quality of the data that's coming in. I mean, if you think about it, like you've sort of self-selected a demographic of people who are probably not in the, their, their total right state of mind and easy, especially <laughs> on like true. a mobile device trying to type things in, even with the best yep. intentions, you could end up with some funky stuff. Absolutely. You look at things like search has always been a big problem for us. And this is, is, you know, you can't just do a did you mean, you know, the world always assumes that you have like the Google search engine behind the scenes here. I mean, it doesn't work like that in the real world, especially when it comes to beer that is only available in certain areas, but not in all areas. When you search on Google or Facebook or Yelp or any local search, you know where you're located. So you know what results to pull in. A brewery in London that has the same beer name at a brewery in California, they won't get confused because you're not physically located there. But that beer could be coming over, so you can't really segment based on location, otherwise you'd have a really messed up search algorithm. But for us, we really felt that um, you know, using typos without goalie has been amazing. They've been able to fix these words and not English to be able to change them to quickly uh, you know, find them without any issues. Uh, before, we had a lot of duplication on these type of things. We really improved that with the search engine. Um, but you know, we really want to be top-notch when it comes to uh, data accuracy. So you know, we even allow breweries to manage their own page. They can update the labels, the ABV, the IBUs. It's very important to have that constant communication back and forth, uh, especially when it comes to accuracy of the data. So even besides the the whole like you know drinking and, and having typos and and stuff like that, um, I'm curious to hear if, if if you had to sort of evolve the the data approach or searching approach, um, 
just sort of digging into to what you mentioned around just different regions around the world and stuff and supporting, like, do you support all the different languages, like localization for all these areas? And um, did you have to like go back and retrofit your database to support like different characters? Like I'm curious to hear if, if you had any interesting tales there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I wasn't even thinking outside the United States when we first <laughs> launched this thing. So when we, you know, from our standpoint, when we looked at, you know, regionalization and character codes and stuff like that. I mean, we had to change all that stuff from the very beginning. And sometimes it's just, it's, it's, it's a huge undertaking from a day-to-day perspective to change your, your car set to something else. When, you know, we wanted to add emojis, for example, to our check-in comments, we had to actually, uh, we couldn't really kind of change our check-in table, which got too big. So we actually have a secondary table that we store that data in there with the, with the, um, the, the actual comment in its, uh, you know, the expected format that handles all situations when it comes to foreign languages um, or even, um, you know, emojis and stuff like that. We actually recently upgraded our, uh, our supporters. Uh, we've actually upgraded our character limit to 256 as opposed to 140. So we also use that as an opportunity for that. But we recently, in our last update, just uh, uh, translated the app into three different languages, which was a amazing task for our team to do because everything had to be translated from a local perspective on the API side. We're now using, you know, accept language headers to be able to figure out where the user is coming from. So we can translate some of our error messages and things like that. So that was a really kind of unique experience uh, across the board. Uh, we had a our database to be able to have key values as opposed to storing the actual names of things such as tasters, cast, draft, all those things need to be updated. Um, so it was an amazing kind of outlook that we haven't really seen a lot before. But, you know, beer is very universal. The, the concepts of, of drinking a beer and, you know, the styles are pretty universal. Um, it's just the UI and how to do it. I mean, a check-in, uh, you know, we all understand what that is. But to a, a non-English speaker, a check-in doesn't make sense when it comes to a beer, uh, especially when you think check-in in a venue and not beer. So we had to do a lot of changing from that avenue to kind of embellish some of the of languages of these, of these locals. And these are moderator-based to help us kind of figure that out as well. So we used a third party to translate the app, and then we had our moderators go through and scrub it for context because you know we didn't want to just be able to translate the entire app because that would look pretty poor. Um, but we want to make sure that we actually have some context to beer uh, when it comes to these type of things. So um, that's kind of what we did in last update. So we support Portuguese, uh, German, and also Spanish now uh, locally on the app. And also the Air API, and we'll be adding more languages very, very soon uh, as we've seen the huge popularity increase because of these uh, exception languages. Now, I'm curious, do you have any kind of like dashboards or tooling or interfaces for the breweries themselves to kind of, you know, either help update and maintain this data or even to, to kind of see like statistics on, you know, their own kind of beer check-ins and that kind of stuff? Is there some kind of platform that you've uh, made for this? Yeah, so we allow our breweries to claim their page. When they claim their page, that gives them the option to manage their beers. They can interact with their customers. They can post comments and toasts on there. Uh, they can also see a kind of high-level overview of their analytics the last 15 days of traffic, see how many check-ins they're getting, what their top beers are, wish lists of beers. Uh, we do have plans down the road to do more of a robust platform for these type of things, but for now, um, that's what we offer the breweries. We also have our other side of our products. We have our, our uh, untapped for business platform, which allows the venue side to get involved in the situation by doing uh, verified venues of their menus and seeing analytics for their customers too. So, uh, you know, we started with the, the breweries that was, that was our obvious kind of route there. And then we've always wanted to be able to find real time information about what's available on draft at different locations. 
And it was a very massive undertaking uh, of that to do that just by ourselves before we did our kind of merger with another company uh, three years ago called Next Class. Um, so from that, we were able to kind of develop the system where bars and restaurants can actually go in there and manage your tap list on on tap, which is a great way to kind of leverage the community and see what's available in real time. Yeah. And so for those tools that you've built out then for breweries and local businesses and things like that, is is that where the any like monetization strategy kind of comes in for the untapped? Because obviously from the user side, I mean, I use it probably more than I should. And it's at this point, it's, you know, you could argue that I should pay for it because it is really my surrogate brain of what have I had before? Because I, I yeah, can't yeah. tell you how many times I buy like a six pack. I'm like, oh, this looks interesting and new. I'm like, oh, I hated this like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, that was a primary use case for what I'm talking about. But yeah, I mean, for, for, for the tooling that you talked about, um, that's exactly what we what we do. So we do sell our on top business platform as a service to bars and restaurants. So there's a monetization on that front. Um, the brewery claiming is free. Um, and uh, the reason why it's free is because we really want them to be involved with the platform and the community and actually help us manage that data. They're the ones that have it more than we do. So we want them to get in the door and kind of help with that procedure to be able to kind of make sure everything up to date and has all the information when it comes to beer. But our primary, we also do sponsored badges on our service. So if you're familiar with uh, Untapped, you probably know all about our badges and stuff like that. So we partner with brands like Founders and uh, Bells to do uh, sponsored badges people can earn for earnings for an activity. So, um, you know, we also have our supporter program, which is allowed people to kind of get uh, more analytics, more user stats, um, including like a map of where, all, where have you been across the whole world, what your top years are, what your graph is, and a per day basis, as well as exporting all your data to an Excel spreadsheet or a JSON or something like that. So we have some options for monetization there. Um, ultimately, there's a lot more down the pipeline that we're, we're looking for um, that I can't unfortunately discuss right now, but there's a lot of things that we're, we're definitely uh, allowed to, to kind of well, and I think the, the beer space with with, with uh, on-premise uh, retail is booming, and you know we're able to kind of capitalize on that market with this uh, kind of untapped business platform. And you know, for me personally, um, you know, we've always wanted to have this from day one. Um, being able to, to to check what your local bar has on draft before you go there is an amazing thing. I have a one and a half year old. I don't get to go out very often, but if there's something amazing on draft, my local pub, I'm going to use that card that I get every once in a month. So, I mean, you have to know what's what's out there to kind of be able to do it. So it's really cool to be able to see that. And I think that's probably a good segue point to, to talk about how things have evolved with the, the comp, the untapped as a company, just in general, sure. I, you know, since, since, um, you know, three years ago, I guess it was when, when you came by the group, you know, you've, this is now your full-time gig, right? Like, I think that's actually yes. just, just as a, an aside on that, like, it's amazing that you did this in your spare time when you were working somewhere else for as long as you did, but now it's just a full-fledged company, right? Yeah, I have more, I get more sleep now, which is nice. Um, but, uh, for the, but yeah, so back in, in February of, of 2017, I think, or 16, uh, we merged with a company called Next Class, which is located at Wilmington, North Carolina. And what that allowed us to do is that uh, allowed us, uh, Tim and myself, to go full-time on the project um, from there. So we've been really fortunate. This, this February will be the third year that we've been able to do this full-time, which has been the most amazing experience I've ever had an opportunity to do with. I mean, you, know, you never think that you'll be able to start a company and, more importantly, work on it in a full-time role. I, mean, I worked for ABC News in the city here um, as a web developer before I went full-time on Untapped, and I did Untapped for five and a half years, um, kind of part-time. So, you know, a lot of people will tell you that, hey, you gotta, you know, you gotta make money right out of the gate. You gotta be able to get funding right out of the gate. And I think our story kind of tells a different side of that, where you can build an MVP. 
you know, work on it, see if it actually hits critical mass, and then try to see what the next route is. I mean, you know, we were kind of laughed at by the uh, the, the investors at, when we were early on because we weren't, uh, you know, we're not a college. We weren't, we had families. We couldn't just eat, eat ramen noodles the rest of our lives. So, I mean, like, you know, for us, we really wanted to prove that we were we were really invested in our product, but, you know, we weren't willing to just kind of, you know, we have to pay and 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 help our our families. So it's 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 really cool to be able to just kind of work on something you love and, and being able to do what we do in a full time role now. So I'm very very honest and very very blessed to be able to do that. So how big is the company these days? How many people do you have developing and that kind of thing? The company, believe it or not, is around 90 employees, which is unreal oh, wow, to wow. think that that's really where we're at uh, from two, uh, three years ago. So we are primarily heavily focused on the sales side. Uh, so we have a lot of salespeople that um, you know will use help to sell the Untapped Business platform. We have um, we have we have offices in, in our main offices in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, so if you're ever down there or anybody ever down there, stop by, we'll give you a tour. Um, and uh, the cool thing about it is that we have offices in Raleigh. Uh, Durham uh, as well. Um, so we have a developer office in there and we have a developers in ILM. So we have around 10 or 15 developers overall for the entire company. Uh, and, you know, my role is still the same that it has been my official titles is CTO role, but my focus is primarily on what we call UTC internally, which is the untapped um, uh, consumer team. And we didn't want to be UCT because it didn't really look cool. UTC is like time. <laughs> So it just changes around a bit. It's untapped team consumer rates, what it really what it comes down to. So my focus is really on the consumer products that we offer, our website, our mobile app. And we have other uh, engineers that kind of focus more on the business side of the house um, that I'm involved with. But uh, it's been crazy to see the growth um, that we've had over the last couple of years. And even, even when we first had the merger, I remember when there was only four salespeople on one floor of a building that we rented. And now... It, it, it's really crazy to see uh, how, how far that's, that's gone. So we're really cool to see. That's pretty awesome. So then in terms like the, sort of contrasting that with, with the early days of you with a laptop in the side of a bar trying to like stop the <laughs> flames and, and get back to your beer. Like what is that? I'm curious to hear what that sort of looks like now. Like do you, is there like an on-call rotation or like how, how does that sort of thing work at a company that's sort of always going to be at the mercy of, you know, surge times at, you know, the, the least opportune time in terms of what you probably want to be doing. Yeah. I mean, we, we recently hired, like I mentioned, a DevOps, which again, I'm completely thrilled. Uh, John is his name. And, uh, you know, he, he, we work in tandem to, to support the servers. We don't really have an on-call per se, but, you know, we have a lot of alerting functionality that I built into the app from the very beginning because we had so many problems. So we're really ahead of the game in terms of being able to provide kind of real-time uh, updates on when things are going wrong. Also, too, we have a business team, a business side, and then a sales team. So we, you know, they're using the app constantly, and they're using it for for lead generation and things like that. So we always have a lot more eyeballs on the app than we use. You know that we have a consumer side of the house that um, will report things, if obviously, if we're completely down. But with more employees and more people using it on a regular basis during the week, it gives us a lot of uh, flexibility just to kind of examine error logs and stuff like that. I mean, in terms of Internet management, we now use, um, you know, a status page for a lot of things that we have. It's ingrained into the app. It's ingrained into our website. So we're able to kind of update that in real time to kind of give users an outlook of what's happening. Um, so ultimately, that helps us do a lot of the incident management easier. Um, you know, knock on wood, things have been going pretty well. Uh, I hate to say that, and I should say that. Uh, but I think for the most part, um, you know, uh, having my hand, like, like John, helping me out with some of the infrastructure stuff when – I'm not available. I remember uh, when I got married in uh, um, five, six years ago, 
Uh, and I told my co-founder, I'm like, look, I'm not, my wife's not going to let me bring my laptop. <laughs> if, if something goes wrong, you know, do your best to, <laughs> to help out your instructions and stuff like that. And we crashed bad that night. So <laughs> I was like, it was, it was pretty bad. I mean, luckily I kind of tried to focus on the wedding as opposed to the, the, the app. But the funny thing is that our honeymoon went on a cruise. They have absolutely nothing, no cell phone service. So, that was a pretty fun experience going back to that. And we were actually better on that cruise than they were on that, that night. And that should be the fact that I got married on a Friday. I should have got married during the day on a Saturday. That would be a lot better. <laughs> yes. But uh, good to do. But yeah, a lot has changed in that avenue. We've been able to really kind of focus more on uh, providing great support and great platform experiences and, and less on the infrastructure side. And we'll continue to move forward with that. As you know, industry wise, there's less about managing servers now. It's all about managing services, and that's what we're moving toward uh, in this this coming year and next year as well. Is trying to do less management of servers and more managing our platform and letting the service run itself, and 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 not having us having to log into servers and managing things like that. So like you know things like RDS and, and managed databases and things like that are are definitely on our forefront for what we're looking to for the for the coming years. So, uh, you know, I think that relates to, like, one of the things you talked about earlier was being able to identify that, say, Friday was, like, the busier time of, of uh, you know, check-ins and everything. And I'm really curious if you've seen any other interesting trends with the data and identified anything that you might not have realized before and, and kind of where you see that taking you. Yeah, I mean, I think the cool thing about the data that what we pull out here is that it's it's totally um, – the like the types of, of breadth of data that we have is so robust and it doesn't really like nail down to one specific scenario that's like, oh, wow, this is a really cool avenue. I mean, uh, we, we were able to see, like I mentioned earlier, about when pumpkin beers are actually made and versus when they're checked into and you're questioning how do I get pumpkins in July? Uh, you know, so like there's a lot of things that are happening on that front. But more importantly, like, you know, uh, we rolled out a purchase location, which was a feature that you can actually add your retail um, kind of purchase location if you bought it from a bottle shop, took it home. And, you know, our, our, that was our premise of what we wanted that feature to be. And the funny thing is that nobody uses it for that anymore. They actually add the same thing as where they are in a location. So, you know, there's a great brewery in L.A. called Three Weavers. And if you go to, to Three Weavers and you check in the beer – uh, and you can also add where you purchase it. Everyone just tags the same place of where they're at, even though it's duplicate data. So it's really cool to see that kind of avenue, not just on the on the pure data perspective of like when things start to trend, but not necessarily uh, how people use the app in ways that you probably never thought uh, would be the case. I mean, one of the things that we were seeing a lot of people doing is uh, wish this, which is a feature we've had from day one. Um, people using it as more of a seller. Um, being able to put what they've had in their cellar and their wish list, but it would automatically get removed from your wish list when you checked it in. So people would have a hard time trying to figure out how to do that. So we built in a custom list function people could use. So like finding data on, on, on the beer side is really cool, but actually app level usage of what people are using when you're not uh, you know over their shoulder is incredibly interesting to me as a developer. There are times where I creepily will, will go into a bar and I'll see that yellow glow off of someone's phone. I'm obviously very excited <laughs> about it, but I don't, I don't, I don't go over to them and, and introduce myself because that's kind of like pompous, anyways. But the the, the the point I'm trying to make is that I, I kind of watch from a bird's eye view of how they're using the app. I mean, it's incredibly valuable information to to see in real time with someone that you don't know how they're interacting with the app, how they're using it, it can help make better decisions about how to build your app from a better perspective. So for us. Um, 
you know, the data wise is great. Um, you know, seeing the trends of the, of the, of the beer industry is incredible. I mean, uh, the, the New England IPA craze is, is unreal uh, to see that trajectory. Uh, you know, you look, you compare it to another style that people have been comparing it to is the black IPA, which used to be one of the most prominent styles, uh, that new style that came out. And it, it quickly kind of died out after the inception point of what we were saying. Um, with New England IPAs, there's no dying out. It, it's literally growing and growing. It hasn't even plateaued in terms of check-ins, in terms of, of new beers created daily. Yeah, I, I, Black IPA is kind of uh, fizzled after about three or four months. Um, so that's how we know that things are kind of really relevant. Another point that I like to talk about is one of the most popular beers, almost, uh, I think it was last summer or two summers ago, is uh, Not Your Father's Root Beer, which was one of the most popular crazed beer uh, it was a new style, just kind of a, a, a hoppy, uh, alcoholic, sugary kind of root beer that reminded you of drinking an actual root beer, but it had 7% alcohol, so it was a lot, a lot, a lot different than you know a chocolate root beer. That stuff went up. Ratings were about 4.5. Uh, for a product like that, you would never think that that would be resonating very well in the, in the, in the industry. And then it started to distribute outside of its local area. So Chicago was where it was located. It got acquired by Pops, and it kind of moved out to the entire region, and the ratings started to dip. So we kind of asked ourselves, does beer being served to a smaller area mean that you're going to have to uh, lose ratings when you go to a master appeal? And, you know, it, it's not necessarily about moving to master appeal. It's about necessarily more people being able to rate and review a product. We talked to a lot of breweries and say, look, we have a 4.0 rating right now, and we're moving out to other markets. We have a minute. All of a sudden, it took a dip. And, and the reality is, it's probably your friends or family, people that know you really well, <laughs> that rate you here pretty yeah. high, and now you're going to move outside your realm, and the world's going to take a look at it. And not everyone's going to like your beer. It's a hard thing to kind of grasp, just like not everybody likes some tap, which makes me sad. But I, I can't help that scenario in that situation. So it's really cool to see that kind of realm of ratings over time and be able to see the kind of dips and valleys with, with events. You know, I think last um, two Super Bowls ago, we tried to do an interactive map of check-ins in the cities of the teams that were playing when the other team played were there more check-ins of beer to drown out their sorrows than it was than <laughs> there was not. but unfortunately you know uh, it's not like twitter where it's an instant kind of reaction to a game or an element that doesn't work really well with the beer i mean if you're drinking a beer you're drinking it irrespective of what happens you know in, in reality of a sporting game but it was really cool to see the kind of a, the analysis of that and seeing it on, on a map with heat maps and stuff like that and and really seeing that forward. So I'm a big data junkie. Um, like yourself, Greg, I, I love seeing that stuff. I, I kind of watch it all day. Um, it's just quite cool to see the kind of progression of where we, we were uh, eight years ago to where we are today when it comes to data realm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, that's always the thing perpetually, especially for a data set I actually would be super passionate about. I'm, like, I just want all of it. Uh, but it's funny that <laughs> yeah. you mentioned sort of that, like the like a dip in ratings getting outside of, you know, your maybe your original area, that sort of thing. Um, you know, my recent move across the country actually got me some thinking about that sort of thing a lot where I found that I've, I've had to adjust, um, you know, especially on like a service like Yelp, like I knew what like a four star meant on like Yelp in New York city. And, yep. um, but it means a totally different thing. And at least in terms of like what I think of a restaurant having left it, if I see like four, four stars in my new local neighborhood, like everyone here seems to rate things higher than they would have in New York. And it's, I just I have to imagine there's like a locality to you know how critical an area is about a certain thing, and there just has to be a lot of cool stuff in there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think from our perspective, we um, we really love to see the the range of beers. The ra- like we have a very simple rating system. It's one to five. Um, you can't rate a zero. It's not possible. So they don't ask. <laughs> That's not just possible. mean. <laughs> it's just not rating anything. It's the equivalent of what it is right. So from our standpoint, um, what is a good rating? And I get asked a lot. It's not necessarily regional in style. It, it, it's not necessarily like in LA, it's greater than it is in New York. It's it's really on, on two things: the so style of the beers and the ABV. So we see obviously the higher the ABV, the higher the rating. Doesn't necessarily mean that like you know um, you're seeing these beers that are 29% alcohol being the best. Uh, that doesn't always work, but usually the higher the rating, the higher the ABV, um, the more deeper style. So an imperial stout, um, you know, has that kind of more richer kind of complexity to it so it gets a higher rating hype is a huge factor too i mean you know you don't see someone that gets a trillion beer being like this beer sucks like you don't you don't see that uh because of the hype factor of the beer and most of their beer is done over trades so if you're not going to trade for a beer across the country and then give it a low rating it doesn't really make any sense from that thing. so there's a different categories when it comes to those rating structures the, the, the crazier thing is identifying trends of when a beer becomes more widely publicized does that affect the overall rating for sure? For sure. Of course it does. When people get their opportunity to try it, they're gonna, they're gonna, they may not like it. Um, but when it comes to hype factor beers that have lots of check-ins, you really don't see that kind of deviation when it comes to those type of things. I got to think too that you know, like I, I know I'm guilty of it too. If I find a beer that seems like really uh, rare or something that you know I just wouldn't come across anywhere else, uh, and especially if it's maybe even like a, a really local small craft thing, I tend to, I'm sure I tend to rate them a bit higher because it's like it's different, it's unique, it's interesting um, compared to you know some IPA I can get anywhere you know in, around the area or, or anywhere in the country, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to understand, too, the hype factor, what your friends think is all kind of playing into your idea of rating. We actually rolled out a feature uh, two lists ago where you can actually hide the rating from your search results so you're not hmm. impacted when you actually go to check in your beer. Uh, people like to have a clean slate of what's happening. For me, I, I like seeing the rating. I don't let it impact me too much. Um, but more importantly, what my friends think is how I pick beer. So my friends and I have typically the same amount of taste profile if they think the IPA is pretty good, I can say, you know what, I'm going to get that. That's more relevancy to me than overall rating. Overall rating is very important, but if I'm picking a beer for myself, I trust um, you know, my, my close friends to make the help that system better for me. So, you know, what's next for Untapped? Is there anything you can share with us today that you're working on? Any cool features coming down the pipeline? I think the coolest thing we've been working on recently is our direct messaging stuff that we just released in our latest version, which honestly has been one of the coolest things to work out from on top from the very perspective of when we first launched is because it's a brand new product for us inside of an existing product. We've always been a check-in app. We've always been something you look at us and say, look, you comment and you can review and stuff like that. But now adding a whole new realm of real-time communication between users is something that was really cool to kind of structurally plan and structure wise. And we're using some really cool stuff like uh, using pusher for our web sockets inside of the app. So when you immediately get connected, it's in real time there. Um, that's really cool. Um, also, you know, we, we wanted to really add in uh, uh, sharing content, not just uh, textual content. So you can share a beer, uh, a venue, a brewery to kind of show your friends uh, where to go, what to have and what you're having. So that's a really cool thing. Um, so that was like the big secret stuff that we're working on the last couple of months. Um, as of what's going to happen in the future, um, you know, I think from our standpoint, we'll be adding more and more languages to the app as we see the possibility of, of more countries kind of coming on board and 
getting excited about a, a translated app. You know, it's funny, we, we put out the app out in, in, in German and Portuguese and Spanish, and a lot of people are like, I got to learn English because I use Untapped. So I actually learned <laughs> it being English. So I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, easy. So, uh, <laughs> easy done there. So I think from us, we did, we've always wanted to, we struggled with our recommendation engine. We've always wanted to improve that to make it more uh, functional. Uh, right now, there's a lot of things like location-based. We have our own kind of internal um, kind of tool called a beer distribution graph where we actually find out where beer is actually being distributed to because sometimes you have a bottle share. You don't want that entire thing to mess up your entire uh, recommendation engine. So we have a, a weighted algorithm that will detect whether a beer is actually available in that current area or not or just to check it in because there's a bottle share. Um, so yeah, focusing on that and improving that is something that we're definitely working on for the future, but we're really stoked about the messaging, uh, aspect of what we've been doing. I think it's, it's really cool to kind of take an idea you built that and, and completely add a feature that's kind of, uh, evolved over time. Like, you know, eight years ago, chatting on a phone was like, not really cool. AIM was still around. Remember that? <laughs> uh, so, you know, on a phone, you know, as tech messaging, you obviously have to have a separate app for that. Uh, nowadays, everyone does in-app messaging on every platform. So it's ingrained in what you do. So for us, it's a natural progression uh, going forward. And we're definitely looking at uh, ways to, to improve that experience and make that better as we move along with it. And then in terms of things that are on your radar, on maybe on the tech side or the, the data side, like have you been exploring any like machine learning kind of style of, of things you know, with all of this data that you have? Yeah, so we've been looking at a lot of some ML stuff uh, for uh, sentiment, uh, sentiment analysis, and being able to see if that has some relevancy. So we've been actually testing out um, Amazon's recognition service, um, uh, which does a little bit of the sentiment analysis for the check-in comments. And we're trying to do some deeper dives and seeing if sentiment analysis over time can really determine whether a beer has been a bad batch or a uh, incorrect uh, system for the brewery. Uh, we've seen things like, you know, a beer getting four star ratings and all of a sudden a period where they get one star rating. What are they saying about it? Does the sentiment match up what the ratings are? So we're looking into that as well. Uh, also that can be applied to our recommendation engine. Ultimately too, one thing we've been exploring with ML is um, honestly image moderation. Something that I never thought we'd ever have to deal with on top of sometimes there are some inappropriate photos <laughs> that are and stuff like that. We actually have a, digital board where your face shows up on the screen so everyone can see it so we don't want any inappropriate profile pictures to pop up there and aggregate the entire bar or the bar owner so uh, we've been playing around with one of the image moderation service that um and with amazon as well to see um how things are, are operating on that level so we're definitely digging into it we're more of a kind of restful thinking in a sense where we want to use services that have an API endpoint that we can hit as opposed to spinning up infrastructure to support yeah. ML and having teams for that. In this day and age, again, we're always trying to look at the kind of software as a service model and seeing what we can get from APIs out there because it's insane how much more the things out there to help you get through this stuff than it was when we first built it. It's pretty crazy to see that kind of growth. Cool. Well, I, I know at least for myself, I could definitely drag this on for another few hours probably, but I'll, I'll have to cut myself <laughs> off and maybe just have to, to force you to come back and talk to us some more. But I mean, before before we wrap, um, is there anything that, that we should have mentioned that we didn't, anything that you definitely want to call out other than, you know, grab a beer and go check it in? Absolutely. Well, first of all, grab a beer, check it in for sure. I think you know, one of the things that we 
always tried to, to, to kind of facilitate over the last couple of years is that Untapped is obviously known as a check-in service app, but we have a lot more to offer when it comes to just checking in. We, we, we want you to check in. Obviously, that's a key part of what we do, and it gives you more data that helps you provide better experiences for you. But we also have the verified menus where you can see real-time menus. You can subscribe to updates for beers that you want. For example, if you really want a Fury Brewers beer and you don't know where to go, you can subscribe to it, and we'll send you a push notification when it's available in your local area. And we make the process easy. You know, you know, beer finding should be very simple and straightforward. If you want to find a beer, you should be able to find it. And there should be a lot of hoops to jump through to find that kind of process. So, um, you know, we, we've uh, kind of evolved. We're still a checking app. We've always will be at its core. We always have, have badges and, you know, hand it or love it. They're going to be there forever too. Um, but, you know, I think from our standpoint, we do offer a lot of cool things uh, besides just a check-in experience to check out uh, as well including the direct messaging that I just mentioned earlier. So grab a beer, uh, head to untap.com, uh, download it, and check us out. Happy to have you on the community. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on. This is definitely a lot of awesome information. Um, you know, thanks for, for building my surrogate memory for me, of you know, <laughs> things that I just can't possibly <laughs> remember pleasure. anymore, especially after however many it is in the app. Uh, you probably know better yeah. than I do. Um, but, but really thanks, thanks for coming on and, and being so open about, you know, building this platform and, and what it takes to, to run this sort of thing. It's a lot of awesome information. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I wouldn't be able to be where I am today if I did not help other people. So for me, it's a way to give back and, and, and share my experiences with a lot of people that are thinking about building services. And, you know, it is a lot of hard work. Don't get me wrong. And there are a lot of tired nights and, and things like that. But I think when you have passion for something and I really, have passion for this community of beer and the beer industry. It becomes, you know, a very fun experience to do. And, you know, the sky's the limit for what you can kind of accomplish. If I started on tap today, I'd probably have a lot less sleepless nights because the technology was not there when I started eight years ago. So people that are starting today have a lot more opportunities to do that. So it, it's really cool to see how technology has really uh, enhanced over the last couple of years. Right on. Well, here's to, to the next eight years of Untapped. Um, and thanks again for coming on. And, and thanks, as always, to everyone for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Gone Mobile. <laughs>